Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, there's an all-English Champions League final to look forward to. But what new can we expect from Chelsea versus Manchester City? We'll look ahead to the EFL's final weekend as well. Could Wayne Rooney's Derby County be relegated? And what would that mean for his and the club's future? And as we welcome home fans back to Premier League grounds, does that skew the competition? All that and more coming up on today's episode of The Game. I'm Hugh Wisencroft to help me through it all. Tom Clark, Gregor Robertson and Jonathan Northcroft. I'm hoping, guys, you are energised after the Champions League games we've had so far this week. How are you? Very well, thank you, Hugh. Very well. Good. Look, English fans or fans of the Premier League have something to look forward to, I imagine. Um, Chelsea and Manchester City go head-to-head in the Champions League final on the 29th of May in Istanbul. We'll talk about whether it should be in Istanbul a little bit later on. But it's the second All-English Champions League final in the past three years after Liverpool met Spurs in, in 2019. Um, so much for us to discuss. Let's talk about the performances first. Let's talk Chelsea. Um, Gregor, it was a fantastic win. Another great performance against Real Madrid. It almost showed a golfing class. What did you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think Real Madrid looked old, tired, just past it. I think they had five or six players over 30. They've, they've got, they're in trouble, really, I think. Um, a lot of players look like they're kind of on their last legs and, and they need an overhaul and they're a billion pounds in debt. So good luck with that. Um but Chelsea, on the other hand, just looked, you know, young, dynamic, full of energy and, you know, very intelligent in their play as well. It's, we've said it so many times, the balance that Thomas Tuchel has managed to strike up between, you know, that defensive resolve and I think it's 18 clean sheets now, which is astonishing in his time. Um, and I think they're the best team probably in the league now, kind of just breaking the lines and springing attack so quickly. And Canty seems to be at the... Uh, the instigator of a lot of them is, you know, we think Canty, Canty going around kind of mopping up, cleaning up other people's messes, but he's actually, Tuchel's kind of allowed him to be the man who nicks in front of someone and as we saw for, for both goals, in fact, kind of springs, springs, springs attacks. So, so many, so many good performances as well. I thought Silva as well at the back, the only time, you know, any balls are launched in the box, he was a towering presence. Um, Havertz has kind of grown in strength and Werner, despite his his, uh, <laughs> his troubles in front of goal, you know he's he he provides that kind of that threat in behind and f- full of energy too. So I think there's so much for Chelsea Chelsea fans to be uh, hopeful for in, in the under Tuchel now. Jonathan Tuchel becomes the first manager to reach back to back finals in the European Cup. In fact, with different teams in consecutive seasons. Our friend Matt Dickinson uh, believes his clarity announced means Chelsea cannot fear City in the final. What do you think he means by that? Well, I, I, first of all, I think Matt's right. And I think what he means is that, that you know, Tuchel is a man with the ability to neutralise any team. Um, I think we've seen that uh, since he took over at Chelsea. They've been the hardest team in the league to play against. Uh, Manchester City were... You know, kind of basically disarmed and, and, as I say, neutered when they played them in the in the in the semi-final of the FA Cup. I know it wasn't a full City side, 
apart from that crazy game against West Brom, I mean, sides haven't really left a scratch on 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 Chelsea. And he's a you know he's he's a great communicator, a very bright thinker. Uh, you could tell, I think, by watching PSG's performance and the disarray they were in. In hindsight, the impact that that he had on on organising that collection of stars, and he's he's done the same with Chelsea. He's he's, he's arrived, you know. It's, it, you sort of forget the kind of I wouldn't say mess that Lampard presided over, but there was a lack of clarity in Lampard's time when he couldn't make sense of where to put all these signings. And now um, Tuchel has brought a, a system that makes sense of 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 the resources that he's got. I mean, he can slot players in and out. But it's just it's just so well balanced. You know, football at the moment is so much about positional play and covering the pitch. The thing I notice about Chelsea is when they don't have the ball, they've just always got players in the right area of the pitch to to, to stop you. Gregor mentioned Thiago Silva. I think he's huge in that. The the the, the way he reads the game at the back. You've got to talk about Kante and and his ability to just cover so much ground. Not not just by his energy, but his football IQ is off the scale. But Jorginho's such a strategic footballer. Then you've got the front three that press like like nobody else. Um, and you've got a very good sweeper keeper, you know, one of the bargains of the season. I think Mendy's overlooked in his, his contribution. And I don't know, they like playing Stephen Henry at snooker. You know, they're, they're just so hard to, to kind of dispose of Chelsea. If they could score goals, uh, if they could put teams away, you'd, you'd be looking at them saying, you know, wow, they're on Man City's level. It's probably just that factor that, that may, makes them a slight notch below. But in this game, in this one-off game, I think I've said it on this podcast before, I, I put Chelsea as slight favourites. Big, big call. We'll talk about the final in a few moments' time. Um, it, it is the third final Chelsea have reached, having sacked their manager mid-season in the Champions League, this is. It's not meant to be this easy, is it, Tom? <laughs> uh, well, Thomas Tuchel would definitely say it's not easy. It's been incredibly difficult and he's done a very, very, very difficult job. But of course, he's making it look easy because they're in two finals um, with the FA Cup as well. W- one thing I thought was interesting in the players that Johnny was talking about then and reflecting on Lampard's time was that a lot of the discussion around Frank Lampard was couched in all these exciting young attacking players that he'd signed. And how can he fit them in? And how can he get the best out of Havertz and everything else? And with uh, Tuchel, we find ourselves highlighting that he's found a perfect role for N'Golo Kante. He's got the defence right. Cesar Aspilicueta is a brilliant and uh, vital cog in their machine at the back. And we're talking about completely different players, but that gives them the foundation now. And it then takes away the pressure on the likes of Havertz and people like that, Pulisic, and he can then rotate them up front. And that then becomes a strength. I found myself watching their recent games going, God, they're blessed with so much attacking options off the bench. He can start with Havertz and Werner, and if they're not working, then he can bring on the likes of Pulisic and Ziyech and things like that. So I think that's that's very pertinent and Johnny highlighted it in the players that he picked out and, and in Gregor's constant analysis of how good Kovacic and, and, Kan- and Kante have been. But I don't, I don't think it is easy. I think it's been a lot of hard work and we've talked about what a detail-orientated manager he is. Um, but I also think that it's a very shrewd appointment by Chelsea because when you think back to the Di Matteos and the Avram Grants, they were almost the Lampard style appointment, i.e. we'll give this guy a go and see how see how he gets on. And they obviously did brilliantly and got them to a final and Di Matteo obviously won it. Whereas Tuchel, it felt like this guy is one of the best coaches in Europe. We're in a position where we're still in cup competitions. There's every chance he will get us to the finals and he's delivered. Let's talk about Manchester City. I think it's been fantastic from Chelsea, but their manager, Pep Guardiola, has been there for five years. And of course... Uh, had always had this hanging over him. You know, will he get back to a Champions League final? Will he win another one after his time with Barcelona? Of course, he didn't do it in Germany when he was managing Bayern Munich. And of course, that question had been over Manchester City as a club as well, because we know the club's hierarchy were all about getting to this promised land of the, the Champions League final. At Manchester City breezed past PSG 
It was another ominous sign, by the way, to the rest of Europe, the same as Chelsea, I think, around uh, where things might be going in terms of winning the Champions League in the future. Uh, Again, another thing we can discuss in a moment. But to the game, um, the false nines work perfectly. And as as a real critic of them, I thought I might as well bring it up. Riyad Mahrez, impressive again. And he was a main recipient of some of the, the great performances as well. And as I say, the Abu Dhabi group finally getting their wish as well. Um, Tom, what did you make of Manchester City's performance, particularly in those forward areas? I think they were excellent. And they, they, what was interesting and for me, and when you reflect on City under Pep in these big games, and you, Hugh, have alluded to it many times in the past with him overthinking and you know suggestions that they might bottle it, is that they look just completely assured. They look completely calm, comfortable. There was no real sense of panic, I didn't think, in their performances they looked like a team who knew exactly what they were doing and looked very, very confident about reaching the final. I think that was very telling when you think back to some of those Champions League games where they've lost and they've been knocked out and we found ourselves questioning Pep and his tactics. So I think that's, that bodes very well for City in contrast to Johnny's point about how good Chelsea are and how well set up they are. City feel like, you know, without wanting to get too much into this is their destiny, this is their moment. But they feel, they feel like a team ready for this now. They look like a team very assured of their place at the top of the European tree. I thought that was the most telling thing, as much as the tactics of which have been brilliant this season by Pep. I was speaking to a friend of mine who just very eloquently said, it's shown that Pep really is the nuts when it comes to football tactics. And he's right. You know, we've 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 forgotten that, I think, in the last few years. And you know, modern day football, I find, particularly for tactical geeks like me, is as much about looking at players and going, wow, he's amazing. But sometimes these top managers, when they come up with these tactics and systems and you're watching going, what on earth is going on here? And it's just fantastic to watch some of the things that Pep's done this season. But I think the the mentality the mentality side was the thing that struck that stood out for me. The thing that stood out for me is the same thing as stood out for with Chelsea is that, that that balance that they have now, which they haven't in the past. You know, whether it be the threat to threaten behind the counter attack, or you know, they seem to have shifted the balance in midfield a little bit this year, a little bit more to kind of protect the defense as well. So, and also they, there was. Many times, particularly in the second half, where they basically were playing four four two and getting behind the ball, they, you know, it's not not the thing you'd normally. You've seen seen the city do that a few times in the past, but it's not really the thing you associate with them. And then they're kind of very targeted press. That's that's the balance that they both have. They kind of you can see them being, you know, very much a target targeted areas of the pitch where they go and they hound after the, after the opposition press and try and nick the ball and get those those turnovers high up the pitch. But then they're willing to just sit off and. I invite the opposition to try and break through them and they very often have been found wanting doing so. We can come to Ruben Diaz and, you know, the guy's an absolute magnet. <laughs> you know, every shot, that, every shot he was finding his face in the front of it or whatever, he's just, he's been a colossus. But apart, you know, beyond that, he's, he's such a presence as well. You can see we've spoken about how much he's elevated, seems to have elevated John, St- John Stones' play. So his presence has been huge, but there is more to it than that, I think. I think the balance kind of tactically between, you know, all out high press and sitting in a bit, I think that's that's a big reason why they've got to the final. They've only conceded four goals in twelve Champions League games. Defence is king. Defence yeah. is king. Who'd have thought it? I think, you know, it's there's the future. Defense, we're, all we're this ex- seeing a resurgence. All this forward pressing, get on the attack, lads, and we're sitting here going, Aspiliqueta, Thiago <laughs> Silva, Angolo Kante, Ruben Diaz, these guys are the real deal. These guys are the ones. But it's true, but it's true. Gregor, you're eloquently talking about balance, and you're right. These teams do have a great, vast attacking threat. But we are talking about teams that are in control, and they're in control because tactically they're bloody difficult to beat, let's be honest. So it's going to be nil-nil in the final. That's where we're heading. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an interesting one with Pep because I was speaking to a coach yesterday and, and he said the same that you hear a lot in the coaching fraternity say about, about Guardiola. And, and yes, he is the nuts tactically. And, and yes, he's, he's respected for the, the, the ideas, the, the innovations that he's brought. But I think what the, the real coaching purists look at is just the, the work rate that he manages to achieve in his teams from from sensationally talented footballers i think they look at that and think how can how can a manager have all those ideas and all, all that kind of coaching intellect and also be able to do the 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 old stuff as in the the the, the, the pressing as in the 
you know, the defensive blocks, as, as in the, the full commitment that, you know, when, maybe when he came to English football, he was seen as not being able to inspire that side of it. And I, I think coaching is as much about teaching as it is about the ideas you've got. You know, you can have, you can have the, the best ideas in the world, but if you can't actually transmit them to footballers, it's, it's useless. And we're talking about Tuchel's clarity. I think that's his, one of his assets. But the way that, that Guardiola can get inside players' heads and, and get them to do the sometimes complex things that he wants, but also get them to do the basic things that he needs. I look at someone like Riyad Mahrez and his evolution, you know, at the age of around about 30, evolving as a player because he's being taught, he's being coached, he's being inspired on a daily basis. And that's um, one thing. the reasons I love this final is, is the clash of these two coaches. The, the, these, these two guys can do everything and, and we're going to see them um, you know, head to head as much as we're going to see these two teams. And that's what makes it wonderful. Oh, makes it wonderful. Well, I'll pick you up on that in a few moments. <laughs> I, I, I know we di- and, and I know we differ on uh, differ on the excitement about this final, but um, but I did I did want to talk to you about Manchester City because it, it's a, it's a dramatic scene right now for everyone in football. You know, this is that moment in James Bond where there's a fight and, and the gun goes flying across the floor and they're both reaching out for it, fingertips, and it just feels like you know Popeye just before he gets his spinach. You know, if he only gets his hands on it it's going to be hell to pay for everyone else you know you know get the kryptonite away from superman and then just wait and see what happens it does feel like this might be the moment that manchester city have just got their fingertips on the weapon they've got the recipe and it could be a long long time particularly if pep guardiola stays at the club i believe that they, they dominate not just domestically but in european football as well and they spent over a billion pounds during the time the Abu Dhabi group has been owners on players alone. So I, I wondered how remarkable really you thought their, their trip to a first Champions League final is. I think it's enormous, even if they, even if they don't win the final, because it, it, this is it. This is the stage that they've, they've been aspiring to. And, you know, if, if they don't win, I think they'll be back next year or the year after. I think just the, the, the getting there is the barrier that they needed to, to break. And if you think about Chelsea, um, you know, they, they, they got there finally after a lot of heartache in 2008 and then they got their hearts broken again. But that's that was the springboard to then a decade of getting to European finals, decade and more. And I think this is their fourth or fifth in, in those 12 years. And I, I, I think City, will, you know, City are still evolving under Guardiola. If they don't win, they'll be back. Um, I think the era, of the era of their dominance, I think we're living in it already. You know, it's amazing that that, that, that that Liverpool title already seems, I'm not going to say an anomaly, it's not, but it already seems like a slight blip in the in, in the in the, the Guardiola era. Because if you look at, the, you know, two previous seasons of 100 points this season of a treble, actually last season was just a bit of a blip for them. So I think, I think we're in this, I think we're in this era of dominance. And I don't think they're going away. I don't think now that he's staying, he's he's going away with, 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 with this evolution that he's inspiring. If Chelsea actually stick with Tuchel, though, um, I think I think this could be a matchup we'll see over the next few years. This could be a rivalry that, that, that's got legs. And if Tuchel does stay, then it, Guardiola won't entirely have it all his own way. The Chelsea are not far off. Like uh, no. it's remarkable their, pro- their progression under him. And you'd say like a centre half, and you're tempted to say a, a number nine. But of course, the no- this is going to be the number nine less Derby probably <laughs> final. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, like, but that's the two things, areas, only two areas of the pitch you would look at Chelsea. Everything else, they are fully stocked. Like so many options in attack, options on the flanks, like three Kante, Jorginho, Kovacic, one of them sitting out, and they're all brilliant. <laughs> like this really is a centre, a centre half, or maybe two. Um, and as I say, if if they're going to play, be playing with a number nine, again, a really world-class number nine, and you got to say that Chelsea are, are going toe-to-toe to, 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 to with Manchester City next season. It's going to be massive. It's going to be massive. It's going to happen this weekend. It's going to happen in the Champions League final as well. I mean, who doesn't want to see these two teams play four times in one season, Jonathan? <laughs> you know, it, all sounds the like you, it sounds like you don't want to happen, Hugh. Do you, to, do you want to get it off your chest? Come on. No, do, 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 you, know, do you know, I'm, I'm so disappointed by Real Madrid and PSG's performances 
in the semi-finals that it doesn't feel sometimes you get a, a, a game on the way to the final or a couple of times on the way to the final that you feel were worthy of, of a final and so it doesn't really matter that it wasn't the final itself and I don't think we got that in the Champions League this year and that was the major disappointment because one of the other things about the Champions League that I love is you you, you have the sense of it being you know the, the best teams in Europe and look all the reasons that people didn't want the European Super League firstly do you really want to see these, these teams play each other all the time regularly doesn't it get a bit boring probably yes um but the other thing is do you want to see you know two teams from across europe who never get to play you know that's what i, I wanted to see and and to be honest psg and real madrid were not fitting finalists neither of them were up to the task it would have been great if robert Lewandowski was fit though because Bayern, i believe would have absolutely smashed psg if he was and then that would have been a great semi-final for City to play Bayern and then maybe I would feel a little bit better about it all I'm you know I'm not excited about this Champions League final that's all I'm going to say it's not that it's going to be a bad game although it probably will be a bad game it's going to be low scoring <laughs> I it's going to be low scoring I imagine but again I think tactically it's going to be great to watch for all of us that love positioning and tactics and all that stuff it's going to be great but um but it, but the final itself it did make me wonder about the European Super League and all those protests, you know, the biggest precursor to success in this competition, it, it seems like it's been underlined, is money once again. So it, it was almost a, uh, it's almost a case in point for those teams in Italy and Spain to suggest why they do need a European Super League to try and keep up because, like I say, it's the second All-English final in three seasons. It might be an All-English final in the Europa League as well, and that would be the, the second time in three seasons too. If that's going to keep happening, it almost makes the European Super League you know, more likely, which is one of the reasons as well I was hoping that sort of Real Madrid got through. It's not like I'm in love with any of these clubs either, to be perfectly honest. Um, I wonder though, and you guys can tell me, for the neutral weather, the fact that it's Manchester City and Chelsea and their financial histories mean that it loses some of the, the allure for for purists at all traditionalists I guess <laughs> purists who were they purists <laughs> oh, Look, I mean, the, the, the two teams that they've just beaten are a kind of counterpoint surely P P PSG you know this galaxy of stars but you thought there was times in this this you know in the last two seasons you think you know they're becoming a bit more of a team and but they're, they're not and they were still so short in so many departments I think Marquinhos is the only defender they have who's fit enough for uh, this this stage of the Champions League and you know for a team with their wealth that's ridiculous and and Real Madrid to look like the way they look now and the overhaul that they're in need of whilst being in a million pounds of debt you know the, the way these clubs are being run is, is a pretty reliable you know, fair counterpoint to the way that Manchester City despite their wealth and despite the amount of money they've spent they've been very astutely managed and kind of you know, led. So, yeah, we can have that discussion and we will and we always will. That's always a, a, a conversation that's going to go alongside Manchester City's achievements. But, you know, they've got an absolute genius at the helm. They've got a group of some of the most supremely talented players in Europe, but they're all playing, working so hard and playing as a team. They've, they've been run very, very intelligently as well. So purists, there's no, there's no such thing as kind of <laughs> as pure, pure elite European football anymore. We've discussed that, but Manchester City still deserve great credit, I think. I definitely take your point, Hugh, as a neutral. There was part of me watching that game where I was the game last night particularly where I was very disappointed in Madrid in the same way that you were because as a neutral with the Champions League you like to see teams that you don't see as much you like to see players that you don't see week in week out but let's be honest they were poor as you say and didn't deserve it I think when it comes to the money side of things yes as Gregor says we can always talk about it but one lots of teams who win the Champions League spend a lot of money and fine they might not have the gargantuan finances that Manchester City do but Liverpool spent 150 million on Van Dijk and Alisson and won the Champions League all the way back to Manchester United spent a lot of money in 99 and in 2008 on players and won the Champions League um, and I think with City with Pep I, there was part of me that was just pleased for them I know that sounds a bit a bit soft for, the, for one of the grumpy men on the game podcast but I was just pleased for them and for Pep because I think on the pitch, away from the money, they have offered so much to football, modern football in the last few years, that I think you're allowed to be pleased and excited about them getting to a final and just forget about the money, I think. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with, with Tom there. And I, I, think, I think you've got to break it down. I mean, there's a subject of, of sports washing 
and state ownership of football. You know, I you can be uncomfortable about that, and I'm one that is uncomfortable about it. But I, I think I think you have to look at that generally and question that as a general point, and not only not just bring it up when a team reaches a final. You know, I don't think the fact that in a final makes sports watching any more or less acceptable. So my point, my 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 point is to you know to to look at Manchester City in the round and and ask those questions, but not you know not 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 sort of link it to to this. And if you just talk about football, you know, yes, they've got wealth, but they spend the money so well. You know, we're, we're talking about Ruben Diaz as a given, but it wasn't he wasn't a given when they signed him. You know, Edison wasn't a given when they signed Edison. This is a really clever football club. So if you it is hard, but if you can if you can separate the finances and just look at the the, the, the the football, I think there's I think there's so much to admire. And you know we've seen over the last couple of weeks there's there's very little to like among ownerships of of, of these elite football clubs anyway. You know the Glazers have just won the Super Bowl in American football. Does that does that make the Glazers? You know, good, bad owners. Uh, you, you, you know, I'm trying to say you've got to separate the sporting achievement side of things and try and look at the other stuff. Um, so, look, it's it, 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 it's if you, you can enjoy it as a football spectacle, this is a great final. The, the most discomforting thing um, is that these two clubs didn't even want to be in the Champions League. You know, let, yeah. let, let's, let's maybe talk about that. You know, now then the final, they didn't even want to be in this competition because two weeks ago they didn't think it counted. And the whole the whole thing about, you know, you're saying, Hugh, that the likelihood of a... We, we can now see why the rest of European clubs wanted to form a, form a Super League because the dominance of the Premier League. Why on earth would Premier League clubs want to join them when that would kind of even up the... <laughs> even the scale slightly? That's, that's also bemusing as well. But, you know, the other thing is kind of thrown... You know, <laughs> I don't know, the big conversation recently about reining in the insatiable kind of yearning for continual growth in the Premier League. And, and we're talking about how we can rein in profit, the desire to kind of desire to profit from football a little bit. And the Premier League is kind of, yeah, everyone says it's the free market and that's why that's why the Premier League's the best. That's why we can attract the best players and stuff. I, I just don't, I don't really by that person. I still think that these clubs have been pushed very hard. If look at the German clubs that they've come up against, you know, Bruce Dortmund and Bayern. They, they, they run very, very astutely and cleverly. I don't think these clubs need to continually look for, for growth and profit. I don't, think, I don't think that has to be part of English football. But they do to win the Premier League, don't they? they? They probably need to do it more so to win the Premier League than the Champions League at this point. You've got six credible, I, I think most people would say, Champions League teams in our domestic competition and I don't think the other leagues can really say that and it's not just you know Manchester United are off and they, they might get to a Europa League final Arsenal are a mid-table team they might get to a Europa League final you know Tottenham Hotspur haven't had a great season but they were you know in a Champions League final two years ago you know the competition in the Premier League is extremely strong you know Liverpool have fallen off this season but they could have been there once again this season in the latter stages of the Champions League vying for the Premier League title so it is almost the investment that these clubs are making now is more to do with the, the Premier League than it is winning the Champions League yeah that's fair enough I think but I still I still I still don't think that that has to be you know, it has to continue to grow. That's ultimately what this this has all been about. It's like the, these these owners of these football clubs, they're seeing how the the extraordinary turnover and and amount of money swollen around in the game, and seeing that they're not turning a profit from it. I don't think it needs to continue to grow. That's all I'm saying. I don't. The Premier League is in a strong position. It would be in a strong position if there was a little bit less money swollen around in it. I don't. And and clubs have to find a way, as they have in Germany, to compete. And so I don't. You know. I think that's been an argument that's been used quite a lot over the last couple of weeks since you know since the European Super League, since the Glazers, uh, since the protests against the Glazers. I just don't think that this idea that the Premier League has to be this free market, there can't be any more regulation. We can't kind of try and restrict the, the owners of these football clubs from turning a profit, and that's going to hinder the, the the kind of standard and quality of the spectacle of the Premier League. I'm not buying that at all. There were a couple of further things I wanted to add before we move on and we'll talk about the EFL next. Eden Hazard, Real Madrid player, ex-Chelsea, laughing at full time with his former teammates 
has left, you know, onlookers in Spain absolutely raging, saying he should never play for the club again. How ridiculous is this on a scale of, of one to ten, Tom? I don't know. I quite like going to Madrid, so I don't want to be banned from visiting <laughs> in the future. So, look, they're very passionate about their football, aren't they? They're very passionate about this competition. Um, to give a political answer, there's always a scapegoat. There is always a scapegoat, but that there is, there is, and and it's often tends to be one of their signings. Curiously, often from the Premier League. Sometimes, when you think over the years down the past, some of some of their English players that they've signed, it's definitely ridiculous. I mean, I saw a clip on Twitter. I don't speak Spanish well enough to understand any of what was being said, but the tone was incredibly serious. I think they had dramatic, like music, and the presenter <laughs> was just staring straight down the camera. I think he was saying two years of absolute rubbish from this guy. Basically, it's very dramatic. But look. They, they they take this competition very seriously, and there's always a scapegoat. And and to be and to be fair, he hasn't been great. He struggled with injuries, and he arrived as one of the best players in Europe, superb for Chelsea, and he hasn't produced. So while I'm not condoning the Amdram uh, reaction to him having a laugh with some of his former teammates, there is an element of why why they would pick Hazard as the scapegoat because he's been very poor. Let's be honest, while struggling with injuries since he signed for them. I don't think it's ridiculous. Go <laughs> <Come> on. <laughs> I, d- I don't. I just think there's there are things that are not done in football. Yeah. I know that's like an old school kind of. What's the difference? I've already lost the game. He's seeing his friends. You know that supporters back home are not going to like you see and laughing on the pitch afterwards. I think it was a pretty daft thing to do. I don't think it's like crime of the century, but I think he was daft to do it there. He could. He, the only thing I would say is, you know, you can do down the tunnel. Maybe you can't do that now, actually, because of COVID. I think they were getting changed in a in like a health club joined on to the to the you know uh, to the stadium. So yeah, maybe you couldn't do that this time. And as I say, it's not the crime of the century, but there are just things that are like an un- unwritten rules in football as you know, as players, and one of them is, is definitely that. I did think it was a small insight into Hazard's character actually. You know, he, you, you do want to see him hurt a little bit more after an exit and a performance personally that he gave. He's such a sensationally talented footballer and we've spent his career just waiting for him to take that final step to become one of the the real best in the world. And he, he's never done it. And I think maybe like Gareth Bale, he's just a bit too nice, too much, too laid back, too much of a, a kind of happy guy. And I think you saw that. You know, I, I, I can't imagine... Cristiano Ronaldo or, or even Thomas Muller or something being as jovial after a, a, a disastrous game like that. I don't think it matters how he played. I think he could have scored a hat-trick and they, they, it's the fact that they lost. That's all that matters. They lost the game and he's laughing on the pitch with one of his former teammates afterwards. I don't think it's a good look. Harsh. Sorry, sorry harsh. if I seem like the old dinosaur in the room now. <laughs> don't, don't, don't ruin it, you. Don't ruin it. Not the fun. game podcast Madrid Tour is still very much on. Don't spoil it now. <laughs> uh, one final question on this. Two English clubs in the Champions League final at the end of May. It is currently due to be held in Istanbul. Turkey is in a lockdown due to COVID-19 restrictions. Should the final be moved to England? What do we think? Tom? Probably yes. Will they do it? No. They'll wait until about a week before and then come up with some half-assed, you know, go between and play it in France or something and do no one any favours. Jonathan, there is a travel element. There could be 4,000 fans from each oh, club. I'm, I'm, I'm torn on this because I know common sense says England, but then, you know, the other part of me says when about two months ago, the English were saying the Euros should just be held in England because of COVID. And now we're saying the Champions League final should just be held in England because of COVID. It does fine. We be... can play it in Scotland if you want, honestly. <laughs> well, we can. Hamden Park could have a walk. No, I mean, I do think it's a kind of English reaction to these things to, to sort of uh, jump to this, this play, play the let's play in England card. There's that little stadium in Budapest that seems to post about 20 Champions League games <laughs> this year. That's, that's probably where it's headed. It should be moved, yeah. Let's be honest. I think with the state the world's in, and why would why would you allow several thousand people to fly across across the world for a game of football? Uh, I think it should be moved. I don't. It could be moved to yeah somewhere in Scotland to maybe somewhere somewhere that's a bit different. I think if it was like no seriously, if it's at Wembley yeah. and there's two English teams playing there, it's a bit like a domestic final. I think it should be something slightly other about it. Get it, Hamden. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> 
We'll see exactly where the Champions League final will be held, but it is an all-English final, uh, massive for both Manchester City uh, and Chelsea as well. Could be an all-English final in the Europa League to look forward to, but at this point in time, it seems like there will be five English clubs in the Champions League next season as well. Those rules UEFA have working out for the big leagues at the moment, aren't they? Um, look, Up next, we'll talk about the EFL. We'll look ahead to a huge day for Wayne Rooney's Derby County. We'll discuss the returns of fans in the Premier League as well. But remember, if you're enjoying the game podcast give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from and make sure you're subscribed to the Times and the Sunday Times as well right now you can get yourself one month free you can get it across all of your devices as well just go online search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to get yourself started here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss the final day of the EFL season is just about upon us and it's D-Day for Derby County boss Wayne Rooney anything less than a win versus fellow strugglers Sheffield Wednesday could open the door for Rotherham or Wednesday themselves to survive instead. Derby have one win in their last 14 games. They've lost six straight. It seems the former Manchester United and England captain will soon be out of a job, but he does have a massive game this weekend. It's a huge day for the club, Gregor. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it's been coming for a while, this actually with Derby. They seem, it's always seem to be chaos surrounding them really for quite some time for many reasons both administrative reasons and kind of on field or issues with the squad and whatnot and just thing is that no one would have seen this coming when Wayne Rooney, Wayne Rooney took over and then he had such a bounce you know he had a really good run up until late February and and they've just the form's fallen off the edge of a cliff and I think the loss of um, of, of Bielik in midfield has been enormous for them I was, I was reading somewhere that I think in the in the 13 games he's played, they've taken almost half the points. And he, he he was lost at the very end of January to a knee injury for the rest of the season. So his loss has been enormous and they've had to rely... Derby have got a brilliant academy throughout their kind of the chaotic reign of uh, of Mel Morris, the owner. The, the academy has been their shining light and they've got some brilliant, brilliant players coming through, but they've had to rely on them so heavily this season. Um, they've had, you know, experienced players like Waghorn, Curtis Davis... Uh, Tom Lawrence, they've all been injured parts of the season. And I think on the bench, seven against Swansea, seven of the nine players uh, against Swansea on Saturday were 20 or younger. Um, so, you know, from where Derby were, they're off, off, always cheering for the playoffs, always challenging, even for the automatic spots. It's a really chastening kind of could fall from grace. And as I say, I feel like it's just been, it's been coming for a long time for many reasons. There have been legal disputes with... Uh, former chief executive Sam Rush. There was they've had so many legal run-ins with the with the EFL about they were the first club to sell their stadium to try and circumnavigate sustainability regulations. Still got an ongoing dispute with Richard Keel after that. You know, remember the kind of drink driving scandal and and uh, his, he was sacked after that. That's still going to an employment tra- tribunal could cost him two million quid. 
there's just always something rumbling on in the background. And this this year, it's been a takeover. Mel Morris has been trying to sell the club, and there's been a saga for throughout the whole season running in the background about a change of ownership. And uh, one 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 uh, takeover fell through just around the turn uh, turn of the year, and another is reportedly on the brink of falling through again. So. Very, very uh, worrying times for for Derby County. A, a huge club in the Championship. You know, they're always in normal times. Thirty thousand fans there every week. One one club city, and yeah, as I say, I just think that they they represent a lot of what is mad about the Championship. They 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 gambled. They've thrown Mel Morris through almost you know more than a hundred million pounds of his fortune at Derby getting the Premier League, and ever and they've fallen short so many times. And everything they've been doing recently is kind of trying to scrape back credibility, I think, or some semblance of uh, normality and, and, you know, steady the ship. And it's it's all, all rests on 90 minutes of football. And I would I have to say, I'm not hopeful for them. They've taken the lead in, in three of the last four games and absolutely crumbled and conceded conceded twice and both of them lost them, lost them all. They are very brittle. In, in kind of confidence and you know mentality and as I say they're a young team so yeah could be looking at a first drop into the league one since I think 1986. Jonathan do you think Wayne Rooney will stay the manager at Derby County whether they stay in the championship or or not and also you know you, you spoke about his desire for people to understand he, he had a strong football mind and he had this desire to become a, a coach as well. Did, did he rush into it now with hindsight? Possibly. I mean, he, he was put in a difficult position, I suppose, by being offered um, the job that he wanted, you know, a job in management at a good football club quite early um, when he was still a player and, and at a club, you know, that he believed in because um, he was part of the, the staff. So I think it'd be, it was kind of hard for him to turn it down. And, you know, yes, Wayne does have plenty of uh, of ideas plenty of of, of knowledge that, that that he can I, I believe will be a good manager can in part but he's not been able to do any of that it's, it, it, this is this has been a firefighting job um, this has been sort of damage control you know he, he, he took over when they were rooted to the bottom of the the championship um, as Greg has very eloquently sort of described some of the problems that Derby have had over a period of years I mean you know going back to this time a year ago when we were in lockdown, um, they were right at the sharp end of um, wage deferrals and um, negotiations with, 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 with playing staffs over taking wage cuts because of COVID. And Wayne was the captain and Wayne was continually having to go to uh, the squad, agree one month's wage deferral. And as soon as that was done, start to negotiate over the next. And, um, you know, it was, it, it was, it was a dispiriting um, lockdown for, for for all the playing staff there. Then, you know, Koku's um, reign sort of fell apart that, that reached the bottom of the championship. And you've got two ridiculous uh, takeover attempts. And I say ridiculous because you had Zayed International who um, had already tried and failed to take over Newcastle um, and arrived on the scene at Derby where, you know, people involved in that Newcastle attempt were telling me from the start, this is never going to happen. These guys can't do it. And they wasted a couple of months of uncertainty. I mean, Wayne took over at that point where it looked, you know, he, Mel Morris believed the takeover was about to happen, you know, in, in the next two or three days when he sat Koku. And, you know, that was part of the brochure when, when Wayne took over. This, this club's going to be um, new ownership, lots of money, blah, blah, blah. And it, it didn't happen. Then you have the Eric Alonso situation where you know a month after he becomes the preferred buyer he's still scrambling around you know the stories that he's trying to refinance the stadium and and now that's in doubt and with all of that going on off the pitch i just think it's been for, for a young manager who's you know basically was a player three or four months ago it's, it's just enormously difficult circumstances and you know, madness of the championship. Look, look who they're up against in the last day, Sheffield Wednesday. We could, we could, we could go into their lunacy. Um, what you do see is two formerly great football clubs, two clubs that should be arguably Premier League clubs who are right on the brink and coming head to head. There's a sort of poetic 
nature to the fact it's these two up against each other and both of them, the loser just plunges into the abyss. No bigger advertisement of why we need stricter regulation in, in English football because these guys shot for the moon and they fell short and now they're just scrambling around to try and stay within the rules, to stay, stay within the regulations about spending. And as I say, both, both clubs sold their stadiums. You know, Alonso was an advisor to to Chan City at Sheffield Wednesday until not so long ago. He tried to buy that club. He's someone who he's like a, a football agent. Uh, I think he's been a promoter. He's nobody really Boxer. knows exactly. Yeah, he's still got these pictures where he's standing with his fists up and he's big on social media. He's not. He doesn't strike you as someone who should be buying a, a kind of old storied club uh, in the championship. And you don't really know who he's fronting. You know who where the money's coming from, essentially. And still, these two clubs are kind of entangled, being entangled with them. And it's all because they see the pound signs in the Premier League as well. So every, everything is derived from shooting for the moon and shooting for the Premier League. And they're falling short. And this, they're, they're really struggling now. And they look like they could be falling out the trap door. Uh, just quickly, Gregor, who would it be worse for, do you think, Sheffield Wednesday or, or Derby to be relegated? I think Derby. Because Chan Siri, although he's... he's proved himself the, the Sheffield Wednesday owner to be a very bad <laughs> custodian of a football club uh, I think I think he's got the money and he'll stick around and you know it may be an opportunity to kind of clear the decks and and rid themselves of you know, it was it was an enormous wage bill um, I think he'll stick around to do that I think just the fact that Mel Morris is really very clearly wants to sell the club I think it would just throw a lot of of uh, Derby's future into even more uncertainty. I think. I think if they go into League One, then obviously who's going to buy them? And and he's 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 already spent, as I say, more than a hundred million pounds trying to get in the Premier League, and he's he's fallen out the wrong the wrong uh, the wrong way instead. So I think Derby would, would be the team who would be I'd be most worried for if they were relegated. Also, Sheffield Wednesday, I've been I've done it before. They've been in League One, they've experienced it and they've come back. And I think in Darren Moore, they've got someone, although he's had his own troubles with, with I think he's had pneumonia after having COVID. He's someone who's been who's managed in League One as well. Doncaster did very well until he came to, uh, to Sheffield Wednesday. Um, so I think they'd be better placed. Wayne Rooney in League One, not so sure. Well, uh, Wayne Rooney, I don't know, will be in, in, in either, to be perfectly frank. It doesn't matter what happens. If, if he is uh, sacked uh, in his first job, you know, he, he could have a happy final day managing to keep Derby up or um, a very unceremonious final day as their manager taking them out of the championship. What happens next with his managerial career? Because he, he would have been seen by Derby County, certainly a bit like Frank Lampard uh, when, when he came into the job, or at least having that potential. And we saw what Frank Lampard did by going off to Chelsea. Um, does he get another managerial job quickly after this, Tom, just based on on who he is, who he's been in football? He certainly could with his experience in the game. I, I was reflecting on all the things the guy said and I thought it was so telling that when we're t- t- analysing Derby's plight we barely mentioned the football barely mentioned what's happening on the pitch and that's what's so difficult in at any level of football but in the Football League if you've got all the things going on at a club like Wayne Rooney's had to deal with and if you get on a downward spiral it's almost impossible to arrest that slide you've seen it so often with clubs Sunderland in the last five, ten years, once you once that happens, you can change manager, you can change style. If if that rot is set in, if you like, it's so difficult to stop for a manager. And I think it was this exact a group of people that were discussing Rooney taking the job um, earlier in the season. And we all said what a difficult, difficult job it could be for him as his first job. And so it has proved. So Whatever happens, I think that he'll have learned a hell of a lot. Let's put it that way um, about uh, about himself and about management and how difficult it is. But I, you know, there's no there's no doubt that he can he can bounce back. Whatever happens, and even maybe may, maybe he can be the man to take to take Derby on the fairly long journey to turn around their fortunes. Philip Koku won three Dutch titles with with PSV Eindhoven and was bottom in the league bottom in the league with this this sort of mess of, the, of, a, of a football club. I just think it'd be impossible and ludicrous to to judge Wayne Rooney on, on, on where Derby are 
Right, now Gareth Southgate got relegated with Middlesbrough. Did that make Gareth Southgate not, not worthy of another job? I mean, sometimes a football club can be in such a mess it drags you down. I'd certainly give him another job. Tom was right in that we've not mentioned anything about about the football. They're the lowest goal scorers in the league with 33. They've drawn a blank in 21 of their 45 games. Colin Kazan Richards, who came, you know, much travelled centre forward. I think he's got eight goals and is their leading goal scorer. That says it all about what Wayne Rooney has had to work with, to be honest. Um, if you can't score goals, you're in big trouble. <laughs> and then, as I say, their confidence is just from that. I think they know that if they if they concede, I think also they've only scored more than two goals in one game once all season in the league. They're in trouble if they if they go behind <laughs> on Saturday. Just a very very quick word for the other team that we're not mentioning on the list: Rotherham, who have the quiet chance. While these two big big clubs, indeed, uh, who've who've completely ruined themselves, as Gregor says, shooting for the stars, you know, are going to be nervously probably kicking the crap out of each other and hoping for a 1-0 win, Rotherham can quietly go about their business. Once uh, I realised that Manchester City were going to progress the other night, I actually, like a saddo, flicked over to watch a bit of Rotherham against Luton, which was 0-0, cracking game, really enjoyed it. Um, (laughs) but But in a very different way to Derby and Sheffield Wednesday with all the things hanging over them, Rotherham with Paul Warren know what they've got to do. They are a club that, if they went down, it wouldn't be a disaster. It wouldn't be, you know, it would be obviously very sad, but they did very well to get promoted. They can quietly go about their business and pick up a win while these two teams scrap it out and probably draw nil-nil. And who knows? Who knows what could happen? And it would be against all the odds because it would be Absolutely, the 12th, 12th game in 35 days, I think, something like that. It's a nonsense. They had so many games called off with several COVID uh, outbreaks in their camp and, you know, rearranged fixtures and stuff. So they've had, you know, there was a game, there was a week a few a few weeks back where they played four games in eight days. They have had an absolute, they've had it really tough. So if they do stay up, that's a, that is a great story. Gregor, just quickly, what else should we look out for on the final weekend in the EFL? The Championship's decided, obviously, the we know Norwich and Watford are up and Brentford, Swansea, Bournemouth, Barnsley in the playoffs. So in League One, it's just... The playoffs as well, relegation is decided. Um, so Blackpool, Sunderland and Tom's Mob, Lincoln, uh, are already decided in the playoffs. And then there's one place, either Portsmouth, Oxford or Charlton. Um, who are you going for? To, who am I going for? Portsmouth have, Portsmouth have got a point more than the other two and they're playing Accrington. I believe that they will probably nick it and uh, the Curley brothers will have done a pretty impressive job to... To, to reinvigorate Portsmouth season. I think we should give a quick mention to, to Wigan, who after everything that they've been through this year, yeah. um, you know, fire sale of all the players, loss of the manager, new ownership, they look dead and buried at one point and they, they're they safe with a game, to, a game to play. That's a remarkable achievement. Um, and in League Two, uh, four points separate the top four. This is probably the tightest of all. Um, only Cheltenham are promoted. Cambridge and Bolton can join them with a win, but Mor- but Morecambe in fourth place behind them can can overtake both of them, and none of the playoff places are decided. So we've still got Newport, Tranmere, Forest Green, Exeter, and Salford all need points to hope to to make the playoffs in the on the final day. So lots of drama still in store. If you're not enthusiastic about the Champions League final, the League Two promotion race—that's where the party's at. If we're talking on Monday and a goalkeeper has not scored a 97th minute goal <laughs> to either keep their team in the league or win a title or get promoted or whatever it is, then I will be severely, severely disappointed. So that's what I'm looking out for in the EFL this weekend. That's what it's all about. Just finally, before we go, I wanted to talk to you about the topic of fans. Home fans now will be attending the final two games of the Premier League season, either 10,000 fans or 25% of the uh, full capacity, uh, whichever is lowest. Um, And for me, I thought maybe this was going to be a little bit unfair, whether it it skewed the competition. Um, For example, Fulham, they'll they'll go to Old Trafford, they'll face 10,000 fans in their penultimate game. Then they host Newcastle on the final day of the season, of course, at Craven Cottage. Yes, it's their home fans, but it's a far lower number. And of course, they will be the only team that goes to Old Trafford with fans all season, pretty much. Um, West Ham, they visit West Brom. 
then they get to host Southampton on the final day where, where their home fans could make a, a huge difference to a, a place in, in the top four or five, whatever they, they most need. Um, Jonathan, firstly, before we talk about whether it skews the competition, should this have just generally waited until the start of next year? Uh, I, I, the competition's been skewed from the start. So, no, I think, I think if we're going to have um, fans at the cup finals and we're going to have fans at the Euros, there's been supporters waiting for so long to get into the stadiums. I'm quite relaxed about it. And I, and I think the numbers we're talking about are, are so small that um, I, I, to, to, to me, it's not going not to skew very much at all. Um, yeah, you, you, you could say we've had a year where football competition hasn't been normal because of COVID. And this is just, this, this is maybe another, another detail. But I don't think I don't think it's a massive one. I think I think public safety and health is is, is actually the forefront of this, not the, the sport and integrity thing. And if it's if it's you know safe for people to be back in stadiums and we can do it in game, do it. You mentioned the playoffs, Hugh, and I must say that as mu- as much as I've been uh, desperate to return to watch my beloved Lincoln City, the idea of doing so as we reach the playoffs is a frightening prospect and one that I'm left me thinking: Can we just? We just park this, please, until next season. But there is, but I would say that um, without wanting to do too much Lincoln bias, there is a point about it, if the season ended now, we would be playing Sunderland in the playoffs. If fans are to return for the playoff games, then Sunderland will visit Lincoln and have to face 4,000 of our fans who will make so much noise, I'm sure, that, that it'll feel like a 50,000 capacity. But there is a genuine point that with the size of the stadium of light, we would then be playing against Sunderland with 10,000 of their fans. Uh, and I know quite a few Sunderland fans and I'm sure they'd be very nervous and uh, very fretful about the prospect of playing in the playoffs as well. But there, so there, your question has merit is all I'm saying, because even in just that that example, there is a little bit of uh, unfairness, should we say. But I mean, the playoffs are a bit of a write off. I don't think any fan of any club in the playoffs is going to want to be there. Uh, it's, such is a terrifying prospect. But I, do, I think ultimately you have to say that if this is a... a step on the pathway to fans returning overall then it's it's worth taking it as much as I'll be terrified it's two games unless we're doing this to sort of show how many more games we can host during the Euros maybe there's a bit of politics in it I don't know because I just I just feel like you know if I use the example of one team having to play at Old Trafford against ten thousand fans, look the the players themselves, Gregor, have spoken about when there were two thousand fans, what a difference it was for that short period that we had two thousand fans, what a boost it was, and all I'm saying is for certain teams that could you know Anfield for example with even ten thousand fans that could be massive for Liverpool in those final games where they need points. No, I agree. I mean. That, that, I- I've not been to a game where it's where it's like that. I remember Alison saying that she was at Craven Cottage and it was remarkable that you, you know, even though there was only a couple of thousand fans, that they really did sort of invigorate Fulham. My instinct would be that it would it wouldn't be so bad even if I was an away player. I just think the fact that there's anyone there would be a boost. <laughs> you know, they can also be get on their getting their teams back. You know, we've seen that plenty of times. So, yes, there is a bit of unfairness here, but I kind of tend to agree with Johnny in that this season has been like no other, and teams, as we've said, have but to play with kind of half their team out with COVID or cram cram fixtures in here, there and everywhere. I think if it kind of is a step on the path towards normality, then let's just take it. Okay, well, we we will be taking it. Look forward to the fans uh, coming back in their hundreds or thousands, depending on the size of your uh, home ground, of course. Um, Look, finally, before we go, very quickly, you know, we've got the prequel coming up to the Champions League final this weekend. Uh, Manchester City hosting Chelsea in the the Premier League. Does anyone think anyone, Tuchel or Guardiola, is going to play their hand in terms of the Champions League final or will we see a raft of changes? Because, of course, Chelsea need the points. I'm looking forward to a massive pet bluff. Just do, do something really weird. Play four four two with Aguero and Jesus, or you know, stick, finally stick Edison up front. Pep, this is your chance. Give me what I've wanted all season. Play Edison outfield. Just do something really weird. Mess with everyone's mess with everyone's minds. That's what I'm looking for. The Pep Guardiola bluff. Do you think they'll play second teams in the Premier League this weekend, Johnny? No, they won't. I mean, City need City want to win the league. They want to win it in style um, because of the fixture postponement of last of, of, of United. Then um, they'll play a strong team, I'm sure. And um, and Chelsea need the points, so uh, I think they have to show their hands. I think it matters actually. I think you know if if Chelsea win again, then that's you know that'll be twice that Tuchel's got. Got a one over on Guardiola in his short time in the Premier League, and 
you know that was undoubtedly no matter who you are that would that would play on your mind when ahead of the Champions League final. So I think there's actually quite a lot riding on this. No, Man City will still win the league whether they lose at the weekend and it'll be all about winning the Champions League final. They've only got to win one game basically out of the two they've got to play and that one is the one in Istanbul or, you know, at Hamden Park if the case may be. Uh, Jonathan Norcroft, Gregor Robertson, Tom Clark, thank you so much for being with me for the past hour or so and thank you too for listening. We'll talk about that game uh, between City and Chelsea on Monday but remember if you enjoy the podcast leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast from and of course remember to subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times digitally right now just go online search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game you will get yourself one month free right now and of course you can get it across all of your devices thanks once again for being with us on the game see you on monday hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.